you this morning to turn once again to Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. And this will be our, our last sermon on prayer as we begin transitioning to uh, our Lenten and Easter serving, sermon series. Uh, so Luke 18, verse 35. Last week in Luke 18, we saw Jesus tell the disciples to let the children come to him and do not hinder them. And we call that no-knock refrigerator privileges. Uh, that is, they get anytime access to Jesus. And whenever they come, Jesus will give them whatever they need. And then remember, he told us that only those who are like children will enter the kingdom of God. And that was Jesus calling us to come like children who don't care uh, how muddy they are or if their teeth are brushed or if they're bloody or guilty or sad or happy. Uh, when little children need you, they just come running to you. Uh, we're called to be like that with Jesus. And Jesus says, when you run to me, I will receive you. Uh, you too have no-knock refrigerator privileges in Jesus' house. It was this beautiful picture that we looked at last week. Uh, but speaking personally, I know that I can struggle to believe that that picture is always true. And speaking pastorally, I know others do too. Uh, because there's a part of us that believes that eventually Jesus is going to reach an emotional limit. Eventually, we think no matter how much Jesus wants to be available for us, that desire is going to run up against a limit of patience or a limit of focus, uh, a limit of empathy or kindness or mercy. Uh, because that's what happens to us with children, right? Or even a loved one generally. We tell kids, we tell our loved ones, you can always talk to me. And we have every intention of being always open, always kind, always understanding, always available, always focused when people we love talk to us. And then we're not. Uh, we reach emotional and mental and spiritual limits, and we reach them a lot sooner than we thought we would. And it's hard for us to believe that Jesus is that much different from us, that he's that much more mature than we are. Because after all, when we think of Jesus running the universe, feeding and clothing every living thing, including the grass of the field, when we think of him walking with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, when we think of him dealing with our sins daily, it's very hard not to think that eventually at some point, Jesus will reach uh, a limit of emotional, of his emotional life or his mental life, and he'll shut us off or he'll shut off or he'll cut us out or he'll reduce his mercy or he'll just, you know, turn us away. My friends, our passage this morning is here to address that fear. This morning we'll see that Jesus, though he feels emotions fully and experiences their weight fully, that he is never so burdened by them that he shuts off his love or reduces his mercy or rescinds his invitations. This morning, Jesus wants you to know that uh, he doesn't turn off, he doesn't turn away, uh, but he stays open, available, and present. And, uh, and I, need, I need to know that this morning. I need that word for myself. I need to know that no matter how many times I come running with the same problem like a little child, he turns towards me. 
and he turns towards you. He empathizes. He responds with unbegrudged mercy and with uh, heartfelt kindness. And that's why we can always pray with the confidence of a small child running again to his parents for help. I need that. You need that. Uh, let's get this confidence this morning. Uh, the points are there on the wall. I'll read the passage, pray, and then we'll meditate on this further. So Luke 18, verses 35 to 43. Let's hear God's word again this morning. Luke 18, verse 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. Thus far, the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's ask him to bless it to us this morning. Father, we want to understand the profound depth of your love and mercy for us, as well as the amazing uh, maturity which you have and which you constantly extend to us, which opens up this door of access for us over and over again. Uh, Father, we, we desperately desire to believe that you are exactly the kind of God that you have said that you are. But Father, we know that we will not have this confidence unless your Spirit works it in us uh, through the word which we are hearing and reflecting on this morning. And so we pray, therefore, that your Spirit would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to do this morning as we look at our passage is compare the way Jesus deals with burdens to the way the crowd deals with burdens. And we're going to start with Jesus. Our passage actually begins a little before the section we read in verses 31 to 34, which I'm saving for next week because I think it's a good transition to our Lenten and Easter series. Uh, but for this morning, you need to know that right before Jesus starts walking to Jericho, he tells his disciples that this trip is going to be his last. Jesus is walking towards Jericho because it's on the way to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be, as he says back in verse 32, mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging me, they will kill me. But on the third day, I will rise again from the dead. And then we're told that the disciples did not understand what Jesus was talking about. That's going to be next week's sermon. But for now, just realize that this trip toward Jericho begins Jesus's journey to being betrayed, beaten, lied about, spit on, and murdered on the cross. And Jesus knows, too, that on the cross, he is going to enter hell for us. He's going to face all of God's judgment for all of the sins of all of God's people throughout 
all of history. Now, I want you to think about what that means emotionally. Remember, Jesus is fully human, fully God and fully human. And as a full human, this knowledge must have created at least some amount of stress because stress is just the name that we've given to a bunch of different physiological and mental responses to fear, pressure, and danger. And everything Jesus has just talked about as he begins his final journey to Jerusalem is full of danger, it's full of pressure, and it's full of fear. You have to imagine, because he's a full human being, that his adrenaline is up at least a little, and that his heart rate is up at least a little, and that he's breathing a little faster because his adrenaline is pumping and his heart rate is up, and that's just what happens to humans when they enter into this fight-or-flight response. I mean, after all, eventually, in the next couple of weeks or less, depends on how the timeline works out here, it's not super clear, Jesus is going to sweat drops of blood, which is a very intense physical response to fear. Uh, That kind of bodily response to fear from the reading that I've done is usually the result of intense pressure over over time, eventually meeting like this acute moment of fear. So as Jesus is walking, realize that he is carrying with him a profound burden that is going to cause him eventually to sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And given that the disciples don't understand what he's talking about, he's carrying it, humanly speaking, alone. No other person is alongside of him, helping him bear his burdens. So this is very important for us to see because it allows us to contrast Jesus' response to stress, fear, and pressure to our own responses. And I'll speak for myself. When I am stressed, I am irritable. Uh, Irritable kids means easily bothered. Walking around, ready to snap out harsh words that are designed to drive people back so that I have space, right? Leave me alone. Stop it. Go away. When I'm stressed, I'm not often an inviting person. I'm not often inviting people to share their problems with me. I'm often a repelling person. I want to keep people and their problems away from me because I'm stressed and I don't want any more burdens. Or at least I can be that way. I'm not always that way, but I can be that way. And I can be impatient too. I want change now. I want relief now. I want you to respond now. Right? I want the environment that is creating the stress to stop or change in some way so I can come out from underneath this pressure. Uh, and when I'm impatient and when I'm irritable, I'm usually sharp with my tongue. I'm quick to lash out. I'm not usually gentle or kind or merciful. And again, that's not always true because sanctification is real, praise God. But it is sometimes true, significantly more true than I want it to be. And uh, when I hit my limits, I can respond in very immature, very unhealthy, very unchristlike ways, like the crowd does. You'll notice in verse 38 that after the blind beggar starts yelling for Jesus to give him mercy, we're told, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. 
Uh, I'm going to say more about the beggar in a second, but for right now, just notice that it was those in front, that is those who were closest to Jesus, who were most interested in keeping this man away from Jesus. Why? Well, I know the text doesn't say, but I'm going to offer a suggestion, a couple suggestions, and these obviously can't be definitive. You might think of some other reasons, and those are probably just as good. It depends on what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you in this text. But here are two very good possibilities based on what's happening and on a common understanding of human responses. See, Jesus is leaving this area. Jesus is passing through. And that means that the guy who can answer their questions, who can give them wisdom, who can heal their diseases, who can forgive their sins and cleanse them from the powers of death, he is going to a place where they cannot follow him because these folk... They have jobs and they have families. They are not itinerant preachers and they are not disciples who can follow Jesus wherever he goes, living off the kindness of God's people. That is not the life that Jesus has called them to. And as Jesus is passing through, they are, uh, as the text says, in front. They are next to Jesus. They're probably talking to Jesus. They're asking him questions. They're listening to his responses. Uh, maybe some of them are asking him to heal them or cleanse them before he leaves and they don't have access to his presence anymore. You see, it seems to me that this group of people is also experiencing stress. They have fear that they are not going to get the time that they want with Jesus. They have impatience because eventually they will have to turn around and go home while Jesus walks on and he's currently walking right he's on the move and with that fear and that impatience they're going to have worry because what if they don't get the things from jesus that they feel like they need before he goes and so when this beggar starts calling out jesus son of david have mercy on me they tell him well actually our translation says be quiet uh but that's just too, too way too nice uh uh, not quite, quite as nice. Uh, not, so it's even meaner than this, but I'll give you what it says. It, it, it essentially is saying, get lost. They aren't just saying, be quiet. They're going, shh, stop being so annoying. They're saying, shut up and go away. Get out of here. No one wants you here would be a better translation to get out the emotional impact. Get out now. See, it's not just that we want you to stop talking. It's that we don't even want Jesus to look at you. Because, of course, we don't want Jesus to notice you and give you the attention that we want him to give us. You see, there's two different experiences of stress going on in this passage. But you see, Jesus responds to the stress, to fear, worry, and danger by remaining close to people, opening himself to them listening to them, walking with them, and as we'll talk about in a second, inviting them to himself. That's very different than the crowd, at least those in the front, who are responding with impatient, cruel distancing, right? Counselors would call that fissuring, separating yourself from other people. Now, having said all that, let me say this. Over my 20 years in ministry, uh, 13 as an ordained pastor, uh, I, I've come to learn that how we handle our emotions and stress 
are very important to how we handle, uh, how we obey Jesus' commands. And so let me kind of explain that by getting at something here. I, first, I think it's important to know that there's different areas of maturity. I think this is a helpful concept for us to think about as God's people. There's different areas of maturity, or if you prefer, different areas of sanctification. Uh, but I prefer the word maturity because I think it's just used more in the Bible. God talks about there being health. God talks about growing fruit. God talks about deepening roots. He talks about growing. He talks about growing up. He talks about maturing. Uh, much more frequently than he uses the word sanctification. So I think maturity is just a really, is kind of God's preferred description for the Christian life. So one area of maturity is biological maturity, which is growing from a kid to an adult. That just happens naturally. But with that biological maturity, that is not always accompanied by other levels of maturity because there's also intellectual maturity, which would be things like being able to consider new and opposing points of view, holding complex things in tension and avoiding black and white thinking, right? What do children do? It's all bad or it's all good, right? That's black and white thinking. You, we, we do this too. I'm picking on kids, but we do this too. You can have a perfectly fine day. Everything can go super great. You come outside to a flat tire. It's the worst day ever. Black and white thinking, intellectual immaturity. Another area is emotional maturity, Things like learning to feel and allowing yourself to feel. Grieving loss in a way that opens up the heart to mercy. Learning how to express anger in nonviolent and constructive ways. Learning how to let go of offenses and to forgive. Learning how to create and maintain healthy boundaries. Learning how to maintain emotional connection with those who bother you. Learning to rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. Right? Emotional maturity. And then there's also spiritual maturity as well, which is the maturity needed to obey Jesus' commands and follow his word. So things like putting away idols, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, showing sacrificial hospitality, being generous, keeping a regular Sabbath practice, staying devoted to prayer, staying connected to God through corporate worship with his people, spiritual maturity. You see, there's all sorts of different areas of maturity, and they grow at different rates and levels. And while this is kind of an aside, I think it's very important. I have come to learn, like I said, spiritual maturity, obeying Jesus' commands, requires emotional maturity and intellectual maturity, but especially, emotionally, especially emotional maturity. For example, if you cannot handle your anger in a mature way, you will not turn the other cheek. If you get angry and your first response is to punch or break things or shut down, how can you respond to Jesus' command to open yourself back up to the person who just struck you? If you cannot handle your tiredness in a mature way, then you will not return good for evil. If you can't be honest about your limits as a creature, which is part of emotional and intellectual maturity, just knowing that you just cannot be omnipresent, omnipotent all the time. You're not God. If you can't be honest about your limits as a creature, you will never devote yourself the way you need to to regular times of prayer, regular times of quiet, regular Sabbath rest, and regular worship with God's people because they go together. You do these things not only because God has commanded them, but because you recognize that God's command is based on our limitations. We need to rest and refuel and re-energize and reconnect. We are not limitless creatures. We need to embrace our limits by practicing these spiritual disciplines. 
they go together. It's good for us to see that Jesus is emotionally mature and spiritually mature. It's good to see that as a fully human man, again, yes, fully God, but also fully human, Jesus knows how to appropriately express his emotions and feelings in a way that keeps connection open, not closed, in a way that invites people in and doesn't push them away. And just to add this too, uh, one way that Jesus does this, as we have seen and as the Psalms have shown us, is by regular times of prayer. This spiritual discipline becomes a way that emotional and spiritual maturity grow together. It's also, he also does it through worship, but this is a series on prayer, so we're just going to talk about prayer. Uh, Jesus practices emotional maturity through the spiritual discipline of prayer. That is, he first and frequently takes his emotional life to the Father, right? He prays. He prays for himself. He prays for those around him. He expresses his emotions about himself and those around him to his Father in prayer. We know that. You can see that in his prayers. Look at the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, where he is praying his fear about his disciples to his father. Father, protect them from the evil one. You don't pray for protection for people that you don't have fears for, right? He brings it to his father first. And he practices silence and stillness before God regularly. Right? Jesus regularly, daily, made time for the father through the spirit to give his human heart the peace of the triune God. Spiritual maturity and emotional maturity go together and they grow up together. And prayer is a fundamental way that that maturity happens. And because Jesus was the most mature, sanctified human being who ever was and is and is to come, his spiritual maturity allowed him to be emotionally mature and so walk with these needy, impatient, rude folk in love. And so I ask you, my friends, like, do you see a limit to Jesus' kindness and patience and love in this text? Like, there isn't one, because Jesus is mature in every respect. He goes to the cross bearing the full weight of these burdens while remaining open to all of the people who are around him, remaining merciful and gracious and kind. And that's what this blind man discovers, and we're on point three if you're interested. Uh, so in verse 36, though the blind man can't see the crowd, obviously he can hear them, and he asks what all the ruckus is about. And someone tells him in verse 37, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And this blind man who is touched by the forces of death feels the same need for Jesus as those who are in the front of the crowd. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, why son of David? Why not just call out Jesus' name? Well, son of David means heir to the throne of Israel. And by using that title, this man probably has a couple of things in mind. They're both related. The son of David is first the Savior. He's the Messiah. So he's calling out to the promised one who saves, who delivers from the forces of death, who brings us from death to life, sickness to health, brokenness to wholeness. And related to that, the king of Israel's job, his primary job in the Old Testament is to protect the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the weak, like this blind man. 
The king of Israel's job is to lead the way in doing justice, as we talked about a couple Sundays ago. And so I believe this man is using this title because he wants Jesus to perform his role as both king and Messiah. Protect me, Lord, and make me whole. Bring me in from the outside and give me peace within your people as a full-fledged member, enjoying all the benefits of society and community with you. But of course, the people in the front, as we saw, they tell him to get lost. That's putting it nicely. Um, But surprisingly, the man calls louder, and he calls more frequently. Verse 39 tells us, uh, so he called out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why does he cry out louder, and why does he call out more often? Well, going back to last week's sermon, isn't there something kind of childlike about this response? If you think about when kids fight, when one kid tells another kid to be quiet, what happens usually? Well, usually that other kid gets louder. Uh, when one of the kids, one kid tells another kid to go away, what happens? Well, that kid's going to get closer. <laughs> because whether expressed in good or bad ways, right, mature, immature ways, kids want to be present and they want to be heard. That, those are basic human desires, and they are good. And here, in the context of people telling someone to get lost because he's blind and needy and they're afraid Jesus will pay more attention to him than he will to them. I think this response is also good. You know, shut up and go away. Shut up and go away. I'll show you. Jesus, Jesus, pay attention to me, son of David. Look over here. I think what we're seeing here is an example of someone receiving the kingdom of God because he's entering it like a child. He refuses to be denied Jesus. And that gets Jesus' attention. And we're told in verse 40 that Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Now, I think that's a very interesting approach. Why does Jesus stop and command him to be brought to him? Why not just like walk over to him? Well, I think it's because it required those who are in front, who were shushing him, to either go and get him or to make way for him. You see, not only is Jesus fully mature in all senses personally, he also knows how to help us fully mature in all senses. He knows that if he just goes over and helps this guy, those who were shushing him won't have the opportunity to learn how to express compassion or to learn obedience and patience in the context of stress and fear. How do you learn how to control yourself? It's in the context of needing control. How do you learn how to show compassion?